Welcome to the Direct Response Marketing Magic Podcast. Seth Green is a five-time best-selling author, speaker, and nationally recognized direct response marketing expert who is CEO of one of the fastest-growing direct response marketing firms in the country. To get free access to a download of his new book, Podcast Marketing Magic, and a free live training webinar that will show you how you can use a podcast to attract new customers and referrals like magic, simply register at www.ultimatemarketingmagician.com. On the podcast, Seth brings together some of the most cutting-edge thought leaders in the world to share with you how they grow their businesses and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. marketing guy is my dad. First, he helps people with with marketing magic. Next, if you need marketing help, he will help you. Finally, if he is a match marketer, my dad is the best. Welcome to the Direct Response Podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be interviewing someone I am a client of, someone who I've been inspired by, who I've been following and learning from for, wow, gosh, at least the last 15 years. I am really excited today to have Bill Backrack as our interview guest. Bill's thinking, writing, speaking, and training have made him one of the most popular resources in the world for successful financial advisors who seek to be at the top of our profession in terms of client service, business success, and personal quality of life. His books are industry bestsellers. I have all of them. His articles appear in the most prestigious financial service publication around the world. He's delivered over a thousand presentations for almost every major financial services firm and associating association, including 11 times at the FPA's National Convention, five times for the Million Dollar Roundtable, four times for the top of the table, and keynoted many of the major industry conferences all over the world. But most importantly, what advisors and what you're going to learn from Bill produces results, results measured by a better financial services experience for the client and a more successful business experience for the advisor. That's why financial advisors from around the world travel four times a year to San Diego, California to work with Bill and his team to master the values-based financial planning turnkey business model. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, Seth, it's a pleasure to be with you, and congratulations on all your success. You uh, are clearly someone who implements and follows through, and that's such a key attribute to be successful. I mean, everybody knows what to do. It's easy to read the books and to go to the training courses, but uh, you are an implementer, so you're a great role model for all of your followers to follow. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You know, I was interviewing Steve Forbes on my podcast the other day, and he said, you know, some of the things, two, two, two of those things, he said the most important traits for a successful entrepreneur were persistence and implementation. Um, so you're in good company with that thought. Let's go back in time a little bit. Um, how did you get started? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I was listening to you talk about my background a little bit, and I thought, I sure hope everybody realizes I started when I was 12. 
<laughs> that I did not know. Tell me more. No, I didn't really start when I was 12, but that's what I would I would like for everyone to believe. Uh, so I got started in the 80s. I was basically a broke 26-year-old rookie financial advisor, and I don't come from a wealthy family. I was new in town with no contacts and no experience interacting with wealthy people, but I wanted to be their financial advisor, um, and I needed a process for meeting wealthy people and getting some of them to basically fire their advisors and hire me. Unfortunately, my company did not have the solution to my problem, so essentially through an arduous process of trial, error, rejection, and learning, I developed what has evolved into values-based financial planning. And as it turned out, I wasn't the only financial advisor with that problem looking for a better way. Uh, I did not intend to write books or give speeches or uh, have training courses or have advisors from all over the world fly to San Diego. It was just uh, out of necessity that I created something and documented it well enough that it was replicatable by others if they would do what apparently Steve and I agree on, and that's uh, implement. Absolutely. Now, you have so many key elements in the values-based financial planning system that address the struggles financial advisors face in terms of getting the clients to implement as well and achieving what you call the being done goal. What does being done mean? Yeah, well, we that's language we don't use as much as we have, but I like to hear it. I like to hear that it's sort of in the psyche of people like you. Uh, being done is essentially the idea of having an ideal life. So we like to begin sort of Stephen Covey, if you think of that, begin with the end in mind. So we first help advisors create a very clear picture of their ideal life. So we have them go through an exercise of what does your ideal life look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Who are you with? What are you doing? Who are you being? To really make it a, a full sort of a sensory rich, clear picture of the ideal life. And then working backwards, all right, so what kind of business would help you create your ideal life? And so we call that, shockingly enough, an ideal business. So how many clients? What do you do for those clients? How much does each client pay you? And so you have, when you have all of your ideal clients, then you have an ideal business, and that's how you create your ideal life. And once you have a, a finite number of ideal clients, then essentially what being done means is that you no longer have to acquire more clients because you have all the clients that you need, all the your time is full serving them, and you're making all the money that you need. So after you pay your business expenses and your taxes, you can fund your ideal lifestyle, you can save and invest for your future, uh, and you can get your own financial house in order. So that's that's where that uh, being done term comes from. Now we call it creating your ideal life, but that's those two things are synonymous for us. Incredible. And you know, you struck on something really interesting because so many financial advisors don't have, you know, they, they are preparing financial plans for clients. They don't have one for themselves, the shoemaker's kid syndrome. They don't have a plan for their business, but they're advising business owners on succession planning. What is so when you started creating this system for your own practice, how one of the most important tools obviously in this practice is the financial roadmap. How did you invent that? How did that evolve? Um, that was part of the trial and error process. So imagine, you know, me in my mid twenties and I just I didn't buy into the there's a limiting belief that too many financial advisors have. And that is, well, I'm young, I'm not very experienced, 
So why would anybody wealthier, certainly why would anybody wealthier than me ever hire me to be their financial advisor? And so essentially what I did is I just sort of asked the what if question, you know, so, so what if wealthy people would hire me? So what would I have to do? What would the offer have to be? And then preceding the offer, what would the experience have to be like? And it didn't take long to figure out. And shockingly enough, it's not very much different today. Most financially successful people don't have a comprehensive plan. Most financially successful people are not asked really good questions. They don't have an advisor who really listens with empathy. Uh, the truth is that most financial advisors today have made a conscious decision to underserve their clients. And what I mean by that is they're choosing to not do everything that they know could be done for their clients. Maybe they're gathering assets. Maybe they're just selling annuities. Maybe they're just doing some parts, sort of I call it financial. In my new book, The Confident Advisor, I call it financial planning light. And so it's been that way for decades. I'm honestly shocked that we're sitting here in 2016 having a conversation where the opportunity is still pretty much the same. Most wealthy people, financially successful people, and certainly it trickles all the way down into middle America, are working with an advisor who's made a conscious decision. I know I could do more for these clients, but I'm just going to do X or A, B, and C or X, Y, and Z. And so that's really what, what drove me is how do I have, what questions do I ask and how do I create a better experience so that when I put a bigger offer on the table to do something more than what they're currently getting, that they're receptive to that offer and some high enough percentage of those people will basically fire their advisor and consolidate everything with me. Uh, so that's how we created the financial roadmap. In those days, it was it was just questions. And then the financial roadmap evolved because you want to make the experience more visual and more compelling and more engaging. And so using a visual tool uh, creates a, a better experience for the prospect or the client. How did you go from... What effect did it have on your own practice? And then how did that evolve into helping other advisors? Well, it had a, it had a big effect on, on my practice. I think one of the more entertaining things that, that I recall when, when I was still an advisor is a lot of my friends were frustrated with me. And I made a very conscious decision that I was not going to be a technical expert. And so what I mean by that is I, I was definitely not the smartest person or the best person to actually write financial plans. I was not a, a great money manager or, or um, uh, sort of, at, you know, asset allocation creator. I wasn't an insurance expert. I mean, I, I had worse technical knowledge than almost everybody that I worked with, certainly anybody who succeeded in the business. And the reason I sort of smile about that as you ask the question to, to answer your question is that I decided that the commodity part of the business was writing financial plans, managing money, uh, doing insurance work. And my company, either within my company, we had experts who could do that or you could outsource that. What was clear to me is that the only way that I would succeed is if I could get clients. And if I couldn't get clients, it wouldn't matter what how technically proficient I was as a financial planner or how well I could manage money. Those things were very outsourceable. Uh, so what basically happened is as I was getting, particularly I, I 
consciously went to work in La Jolla, California, because that's where the money is. I had moved to San Diego a couple of years earlier. I grew up as a military brat. San Diego is beautiful, dropped out of college, moved here. And so most of us know wherever you live, you know where the wealthier people live. So I, I couldn't afford to live in La Jolla at the time, but I did get hired in La Jolla. And my friends were sort of frustrated. They were like, and they, sort of an offhanded compliment or a backhanded compliment said, it's like, so Bill, how are you getting all these people as clients? <laughs> you know, it was almost like, you know, I'm a better financial advisor than you are technically. Why are you getting the clients? And the reason I was getting the clients is because I created a better experience. I used the outside experts or the company experts to develop the plans and the advice. And then I was good at holding the clients accountable to implement the advice. So it wasn't my job to be the technician. It was my job to get the client and hold the client accountable to actually implement the advice. And I was completely transparent that I wasn't the technical expert on the team. My job was to work with them and make sure they implemented the advice. And interestingly enough, many of them had good technical experts they were working with, but they weren't really being held accountable to implement. So that's how my friends started asking in sort of this backhanded way, what the heck are you doing to get all the clients? Because you're definitely not the most technically savvy financial advisor. What do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Um, well, the industry has, has evolved so much. It's sort of hard to go back in almost 30 years and and reflect on that, but it's a really good question. I, I think if I could, maybe the way to answer that is to, is to reflect on, I think there is a problem today in the industry. And I think that problem has been exacerbated by the new DOL fiduciary standard rules and robo-advisors. And that's the fact that the clients of most financial advisors are doing business with multiple advisors. They're not paying for or getting real financial planning. They have their assets spread among multiple advisors and institutions, and they're underinsured. Uh, so I have a little bit more, I think, that's worth expanding on with that, Seth. But it's fundamentally this idea that I think I wish I had been as clear as I am now that most people who say they're happy with their financial advisor, it's only because they haven't really met a great financial advisor. And I think that creates this limiting belief that, oh, these financially successful people must be well taken care of. And, and they're really not. I mean, by and large, whether you're financially successful or middle, middle America, most people do not have their financial house in order. You regularly see in the paper here in the news about the wealthy person who dies revealing the truth about their finances. Uh, it's a huge lost opportunity for the advisors and the clients. It's costing advisors a lot of money and lost planning fee revenue, lost AUM revenue, lost revenue from unimplemented advice or unmet needs like insurance, annuities, and estate plannings, and then the lost revenue from referrals. Uh, so one of the things I wish had been the case when I was a financial advisor is the, the smartphone is amazing. So most people have a smartphone loaded with all of their contacts. They've got literally hundreds or at least dozens, maybe hundreds of people programmed into their phone that they could be referring to their financial advisor, uh, but, they're, but they're not. And so I think that that, that reality is, is a significant opportunity that's lost uh, with most financial advisors because they haven't shifted that client relationship to a deeper level of trust. So clients and prospects are highly receptive to having more complete holistic financial planning relationships uh, and willing to pay for it.
Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? And more importantly, what did you learn from them? Hmm. I was not born into a wealthy family, and I'm still pretty upset about that. <laughs> so, what have been some of your well, – what's your highest entrepreneurial moment so far? You know, that's a good question about the highest entrepreneurial moment. I can tell you what gives me the most satisfaction. Uh, so to answer your question more sincerely without the sarcasm about the biggest challenges, I think any, as any business owner, we deal with challenges all the time. And honestly, I think the reason I have a hard time sort of answering that question is because I just sort of take that for granted that that's how day-to-day -day life is. You know, life is just a series of challenges. You know, so people talk about failing forward. So I don't really look at things. I have a very difficult time looking at the past and saying, oh, there was this big challenge or this hurdle. It's just life is a, life and business is a, a continual sort of parade of obstacles and challenges. And everybody who's successful just learns that's sort of normal. I don't even know that they look at them as obstacles and challenges. It's just, it's just normal. And so I think that the, um, uh, the thing I get the most gratification from are people like you, you know, people that I'm, I've been fortunate enough who listen to what we have to say, who actually follow through and, and implement. And over the years, it's been through speeches and books and actual tapes, you know, video cassettes and audio cassettes. And now we've evolved to having a, a whole virtual online training platform. And that community is growing. And what's cool about that is it's really scalable. Uh, so in the past, we've had to do so much, you know, in-person training, but some of the virtual training platforms have become sophisticated enough and effective enough to be able to teach the kind of interpersonal skills that, that we teach. So I just get the most gratification uh, out of people like you who implement and follow through and help your clients. And uh, that that's very, very rewarding. Absolutely. What is the best advice you've ever gotten? Boy, I've gotten so much good advice. Uh, in fact, uh, I send out a thought for the day every day. And um, today it was, you, you become what you think about. And that was attributed to Buddha. <laughs> but, but when I was uh, you know, in my early 20s and you know, sort of trying to figure out how to make my way uh, in life, and I sort of joke about, I had, I had good parents, but they weren't wealthy. So I didn't learn a lot about money or success from them. I started paying attention to, you know, people like you who are interviewing successful people. And I remember Earl Nightingale had a whole mm -hmm. cassette program called, he actually was a physical LP album before it was a cassette. So when I was new to this, it, it was, you'd listen to cassettes and you put them in your car. And Earl Nightingale called it the strangest secret. And he said, you become what you think about. And so that was really good advice when I was in my early 20s. I thought, okay, so I really need to think about it. I got to think about who I want to become. And if my thoughts are positive, then I have a much higher probability of being successful. But I think the other good advice that I got is that it isn't just about what you think about. It's really your, your action has to follow those thoughts. And I think that's why I'm so, as much as I believe it's important to have good ideas, I, I think the implementation word is one that I always come back to. Accountability, follow through, execution, implementation. I think those are the two sort of best advice, the best pieces of advice I ever got.
That is great advice. With everything that is constantly changing, you brought up the DOL rule. You, I mean, the financial advisor and services industry is constantly changing with new regulations and new trends. Plus, there's the marketing industry that you're a part of, of marketing to financial advisors and, and staying on top of that. How do you keep on top of it all? Well, I don't try to keep on top of it at all. I think that's one of the mistakes that, that not only financial advisors make, but that a lot of people make is that they get distracted by things that are in the news. I mean, the financial services industry is a distraction producing machine. And so I remember when I was a rookie financial advisor, I didn't read the Wall Street Journal. I didn't read Investors Daily. And I tried to keep track of all the, in those days, it was all in print. So every day, our company would give us some type of a, whether it was a one sheet or a multiple page something of something to keep track of. And for a while, I used to put it in my inbox, and then I just put it directly into the trash can. And so I'm not saying you can ignore everything that's going on in the news. What I am saying is that if you try to keep up with everything, you end up losing focus on those few things that really matter. And so we break down advisor success into client acquisition, client service leadership, and time priority and calendar management. So I have a, a little bit more of an answer to your question, but I think first and foremost, I do not try to keep up with everything. What I try to do is identify those things that are probably really important. And then I have to be, con some of them I have to be conversant enough so it appears like I'm keeping up with it when I'm not really keeping up with it because you can't possibly keep up with all these things. And I think that's a, a big challenge in the financial services industry between your personal life, the world in general. I mean, think about what's going on in politics now with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. What I know for a fact is it doesn't really matter which of those people becomes president of the United States. People will become financially successful because they want to regardless of who's president. And yet a lot of people right now would be wrapped around the axle. You think about the DOL fiduciary standard. It's sort of like, what is that really? What it basically is, is there's now a law going to an, into effect that says you have to put your client first. Which we're supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah, that's sort of exactly my point. It's like, so if, if you've just now decided, well, now that there's a law, I guess I'll put my client first sort of where were you? You were probably always struggling in the financial services industry. The successful people, the most successful financial advisors I know, that's really, it's just irrelevant for them. They're not really distracted uh, by those things. Oftentimes the leadership of the financial services companies, they're sort of freaking out because they've got 10,000 financial advisors. And I once heard uh, a manager when I was young, he said, uh, when I was a young advisor, he said, you know, Managing financial advisors is a lot like having a pool party in the neighborhood. You're sitting in the backyard watching all those kids playing in the pool. You know somebody's peeing in the pool. You just don't know who. <laughs> and so I never heard it put that way. I, I, I've said that the finance, managing financial advisors is like herding cats, but that is a different analogy. Yeah, it's swimming cats, some of whom are peeing in the pool. Yeah. Yes, I didn't think about that. Uh, what you? I know you're a voracious learner. What are three of the best books you've ever read that have had the most impact on your work and you can't quote any of the amazing books you've written? Yeah, I appreciate that because I'm a big fan of, of other things. It's funny how after you write a book, it's not like I read my books all the time. <laughs> so right. so I, have, uh, I have three favorites that are classics and, and I don't – that's another thing I probably don't do as much as people might think that I, that I do. 
And the reason is, is because of that implementation word. And so when I was a, a, a younger guy coming up, the, the sort of the hot motivational guru was Stephen Covey. And he wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I, I don't think a better book has been written since then. Uh, and so I, instead of reading new things, oftentimes what I'll do, Seth, is I will reread something that I have a, that I need to implement more, get back to implementing. And so what I used to, I used to close my speeches and maybe you remember me doing this when you, in the early days of seeing me speak, I would ask the audience, well, how many of you have read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? And I mean, 95% of the hands would go up. Everybody had read or was reading that book. And then I would say, leave your hand up high if you, if you liked it, you thought it was a good book and that the seven habits of highly effective people, that's relevant content, that hands would stay up high. And then I would say, I would ask, and leave your hand up high if you can name the seven habits of highly effective people. And all the hands would sort of sheepishly go down. And so I'll often tell people, maybe instead of you know, looking for the new thing or the next thing, maybe study the same thing over and over and over again till you've actually internalized it and are implementing it. And that's why my second favorite book is, uh, or my other favorite, I don't know if they're in any ranked order, is a book by George Leonard called Mastery. And Mastery is a short little book, easy to read, that really focuses on what has to happen to master something. And what I realized, I've known for a long time and was fortunate to realize early, you know, a lot of people study things and they can quote things and they can tell you what's going on, but very few people ever really master anything. So you think about as a financial advisor, it's so crucial to master some methodology for acquiring clients. It's so crucial to master how to actually have a client or a prospect interview. It's crucial to master the responses to the common questions that you get. And so mastery is huge. And I, I would say the third one is also a classic, and that's Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of the great quotes in that book is you, you can make more friends by, uh, in a couple of weeks of listening than you can in a couple of years of talking. And so those are, those are three that sort of classics that will never go out of style. That is an excellent recommendation and a great quote from Dale Carnegie. Um, who is an ideal financial advisor for your program? Um, there are a few criteria for that, but I think the, the primary uh, person who's ideal for us, and you know, when you say our program, you know, we have a very robust, we have a program that's $5,000 a month on a four-year contract. We call that the Committed Advisor Program, but we also have a virtual training platform that's only $100 a month. But whether it's at, at the virtual training level or at the high level of uh, our committed advisor program, the number one answer is, is heart. And so as we reflect on that and look at the advisors that have been very successful in implementing values-based financial planning, building their ideal business, creating their ideal life, they, they lead with the fact that they are just passionate about being the best advisor they can be for their clients. So we measure top advisors by three things, value for the client, financial success and quality of life. And, but I can tell you the thing that the advisors who are the most successful working with us, it's that they're just passionate about the value for the client part. You know, when they, when they hear that most financial advisors are underserving their clients and making a conscious decision to do so, that would just mortify them. You know, the idea that they would leave 
something undone for a client, they practically couldn't sleep at night. So that's the primary driver. And then, of course, you know, they love the idea of having their ideal life. They want to have an ideal business. They want to have a finite number of ideal clients. And uh, that often is driven more by quality of life than it is by money. But, of course, you need money to have a great quality of life. So it's hard to completely disconnect those things. Very true. And for advisors who are resonating with this and want to learn more about how they can execute values-based financial planning and achieve their business and life goals, where is the best place for them to go to learn more about you? Well, you can go straight to BillBackrack.com. I'm sure that on this podcast, somewhere in there, my name is spelled. Uh, but the simple, yes. simple thing is we have, an, we have an ebook, a new ebook called The Confident Advisor. It's what's called an enhanced ebook. Uh, so what I like about ebooks today is not just that you can save the money for printing the books, but that you can actually embed within them uh, links and videos and so our so our ebook is is more than just an ebook. It's almost like a little electronic training program in the form of an ebook. It's called the Confident Advisor and it's it's free. Uh, so they can download that for free at billbackrack.com/e-book. Uh, and then through sort of through that portal, you can get to uh, our virtual training platform. is called Advisor Roadmap uh, and um, I think those are good places to start. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely fantastic interview. I've obviously been a client and follower of yours for years. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to interview you and pick your brain a little bit. Thank you so much for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure, Seth. I, I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.